I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast, your weekly dose of talking about watching soccer on TV, online and apps. Coming up on episode 51, we feature an exclusive interview with Alexi Lalas about the state of U.S. soccer, as well as analyzing this last week in terms of the World Cup TV coverage, including the Bruce Serena sideshow. And we have news about the FIFA World, uh, Club World Cup coming to U.S. television and much, much more. Plus, we have letters from you listeners in our mailbag section. My name is Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, and I'm joined today by Kartik Krishnaya. All right, Kartik, let's start off by talking about um, that USA-Portugal game, um, the, the friendly that was played uh, on Tuesday. The, the most glaring thing, first of all, Kartik, is just in terms of, uh, I think, the viewing number on FS1. I mean, F- Fox decided to put this game on FS1 and had the Ireland-Denmark uh, uh, World Cup qualifier on FS2, which to me, I mean, the Ireland-Denmark game would have been far, far more important uh, rather than a, than a meaningless uh, friendly. But uh, what is um, that 165,000 people uh, viewing number for this Portugal-USA game say to you? Well, it says to me that more people have checked out of the U.S. men's national team following their non-qualification World Cup. Very few people are motivated to watch a friendly uh, just a month after elimination from the World Cup, even though it was against Portugal, but it was without some Portugal team without Cristiano Ronaldo. A lot of big names for Portugal still in this match, but that didn't matter. I think it indicates to me a general discontent and uh, unhappiness with the product that the United States men's national team has put out there. Now, we've seen television ratings decline for the national team and attendance decline over the course of the last two or three years. It was very convenient for those who are narrative-driven on on one side of the coin here. We have ideological battles going on within U.S. soccer, and I think both sides, there's a lot of excess on both sides. One side wanted to uh, attribute that to Jurgen Klinsmann and said, well, attendance is dropping because of him. Economically, U.S. Uh, the U.S. men's national team, the U.S. Soccer Federation product is becoming less viable because of Jurgen Klinsmann. But that decline has continued right through Bruce Arena. Uh, we've we've seen uh, the television ratings be surprisingly kind of flat, and then this, which is uh, a terrible number uh, by all indications. I mean, I, I don't know what kind of number Ireland Denmark would have gotten had it been on FS1. Obviously, it was a do or die qualifier. At least started that way, and then. Uh, 
by halftime, Denmark had taken control of that second leg. But uh, th this is just a, a, an awful number. And then I think there's a lot to discuss regarding the presentation of the match as well. Yeah, that, that's, let's talk about the presentation of the match, too. The biggest surprise we had, uh, well, it wasn't really a surprise, but we, we announced it last week, was that uh, Bruce Arena was going to be on as a, uh, a guest in the studio. And uh, talk about bad timing, Kartik. I'm not, I'm not sure who within Fox made, the, made this decision and had this bright idea to, to bring him on, but if you could bring anyone on that set, that would be probably the worst person to have on, not just in terms of timing, uh, obviously, being the coach, uh, you mean that uh, failed in the United States in, in many ways in terms of um, them not qualifying for the World Cup, but just in terms of his how bad he is on camera. And we, we've seen this before on, on Champions League finals and in, in the past. Um, maybe he's a good good coach, but on camera, he's awkward, absolutely horrible. And, that, and, that, and that's just body language, and that's just like him smiling at the wrong times or just be. Yeah. Everything that could have gone wrong, wait, wait, that's just normal Bruce Arena, though, too. And, and that's before he's, he even said anything. Right, that's his persona. I mean, that, that's something that we've seen from him before. Uh, ESPN had brought him on for uh, several games in 2007. He had been fired as U.S. coach for the first time in 2006. Very awkward. Didn't really contribute much in the way of analysis. That was the same thing here. To me, it was an indication that Fox is doubling down on the status quo, doubling down on a narrative that things are not as bad as it may appear. Yeah, there's some tweaks that need to be made to the system, but things are not as bad as you might think. The thing that's so amusing about this for me was the way ESPN FC show reacted uh, probably about 15 minutes after Bruce Arena was off air. Uh, you hey, and I have been... Hey, Carter, let's not go into that yet, though. Let, let me play a, a clip from the show, uh, from the, I think it was a halftime or post-game, just for those listeners who may have uh, not watched this game, which, judging by the number, there's probably a lot of people, but also even for those who did watch the game um, and listened to Bruce Arena, what he had to say, may have uh, forgotten some of the things he said. So let me, let me play a clip, and, and then we can talk about that, as well as ESPN FC's reaction. Never before has there been this degree of focus and attention and questioning on the U.S. soccer structure. There's a vocal segment out there, Coach, that will say the system is just broken. And I, is U.S. soccer broken right now? How do you respond? Well, U.S. soccer is not broken, but certainly, like anything else, the system can get better. Uh, U.S. soccer is not just the U.S. soccer uh, organization. It's Major League Soccer as well. It's the United Soccer League. It's academy programs throughout the country, and we need to get those programs better. And uh, it's going to take a concerted effort on the part of everyone involved in the game. And I think we have 2018 to spend some time and try to make a blueprint to get our senior team and other teams ready for that next cycle, which starts in 2019. Now, Kartik, let's talk about that for a second. So uh, I, I, I caught it. I, I think you caught it too. But um, Bruce Arena speaking from, you mean kind of the hymn sheet for USSF, mentioning kind of mentioning MLS, mentioning United Soccer League, mentioning the Development Academy. But he missed some, something that was very glaring. Yeah, he missed NASL, and, and I think that was probably by design. Uh, obviously, most of the people listening. No, maybe some of you don't, that NASL and the United States Soccer Federation are locked in a, uh, a bout of litigation right now. The NASL has sued the U.S. Soccer Federation for uh, for 
what they believe is a violation of U.S. antitrust laws. At the heart of that is the relationship between the United States Soccer Federation and Major League Soccer and its marketing arm, Soccer United Marketing. And Bruce Arena's comments didn't seem to uh, uh, seem to kind of double down on that narrative without mentioning the NASL. This came, uh, uh, by the way, I think uh, 24 or 48 hours. This came after uh, a Fox analyst who was on leave, Eric Winaldo, who is generally associated with the NASL camp, uh, made some very serious allegations that I'll just let our listeners know I'm I'm investigating, and there is some smoke there. Uh, what Winaldo alleged publicly was that. Uh, MLS, uh, through various means, MLS and, and, and USSF and Sunil Gulati infiltrated the NASL boardroom to try and sabotage the league. And uh, uh, while it might have seemed hyperbolic, what Winalda said, and maybe some of it was, I mean, maybe it's an over-the-top statement the way he presented it, uh, there is some truth to it. And, um, you know, just stay tuned to me for the next couple of weeks on more on that. But, uh the thing that really got me uh, about this, uh, Chris, is that there was no counter to kind of the Bruce Arena uh, narrative. I, I, I think that he was made the star of the show. Uh, Alexi Lawless didn't get many words in, honestly, on the postgame show. <laughs> it became kind of Bruce. It became almost like an interview with him, right? Yeah. Uh, and Rob Stone tried to facilitate the discussion. I don't think... The discussion went where Lawless and Stone wanted it to, if I just looked at their body language. Yeah, absolutely. Let, let, let me play the rest of that clip, too, right here. There are those that say that uh, there is massive amounts of talent in the U.S. that is falling through the cracks to this system. Do you agree? I do not agree with that at all. I think all the uh, talented players are involved in our systems. We need to do a better job developing them. We see it at a variety of levels now in, in, at the youth competitions we have very talented players on the field. When we look for them five years later, we can't find them. There's a yeah, and there you go. So, so I mean, so, I mean, that, that's just a couple of examples of some of the things that Bruce Runa said. Uh, he said a lot of other things that were just uh, mind-boggling. I mean, just uh, I mean, this is the U.S. men's national t- team coach, or was. Um, he doesn't give me much confidence. Uh, but also just in terms of um, what he was saying, that uh, saying that, no, there's, there's no players left behind. There's no players that are going to fall through the cracks. That, that is su- such an idiotic thing to say. Yeah, the obstinance from Arena was incredible. And that particular line really offended Hercules Gomez, who was on ESPN, the ESPN FC show, which I think aired on ESPN2. Uh, about 15 minutes after those comments were made, Gomez was on air uh, on, on another network, just absolutely aghast as he'd be. I mean, he's a player who fell through the cracks. He's a player who had to go to USL, to a lower division, work his way up to MLS, then had to work his way into the national team. Team, uh, uh, got called in for a Copa America tournament that was a, a B team, but then didn't really get a national team chance to be a first teamer until he went to Mexico several years later. He's a guy, when I think about Herc Gomez, I think about a guy that the U.S. could have used in 2005, 2006, 2007 when he was excelling in, in Major League Soccer in the national team, but was had never been part of the system, so wasn't called in. Mm-hmm. And uh, he would he, he would be able to speak to that better than anyone. And and just continue, finishing on that discussion, there's about an eight minute segment in that show, and I think the clip is online. I know the clip's online somewhere, 
where Craig Burley, Alejandro Moreno, Dan Thomas, and uh, Kirk Gomez just had a field day with all of the comments we've just listened to and more. Uh, the the uh, idea that uh, uh, MLS maybe should limit the number of foreign players uh, they have because uh, Americans aren't uh, excelling in the league anymore, uh, which would, uh, in fact, serve, in my opinion, to weaken Major League Soccer pretty substantially if you start limiting uh, the number of foreign players that can be on the field at one time and uh, other just absolutely uh, absurd comments. Alejandro Moreno was particularly uh, indignant about this point. He said, if this were Italy, the U S is comparing itself to Italy following Italy's elimination. If this were Italy, Ventura would be nowhere near a television studio, probably for the next two years. Uh, If it were Italy and you put the coach Ventura in this case on the air that uh, had failed in world cup qualifying, uh, you would have and not to, to mock this, but you would have death threats. You would have all kinds of things going on, but in the U S it seems uh, perfectly okay and perfectly reasonable to do it. And, and they went on and on. I would, I would suggest people watch that clip. Yeah, and that's the thing, too, Kartik. I mean, to me, it's no wonder that Sunil Galati uh, selected Bruce Arena to be coach. I mean, yes, obviously he wanted uh, to kind of I mean, mend the ship and, and uh, right the ship and, and try to get the U.S. qualified for the World Cup. Um, but in terms of what he's saying, Bruce Arena, it's like word for word what's something that Sunil Galati would say. It's, it's, it's kind of in terms of messaging, he's, he's right on point. Which, which is so frustrating, too, because even at the end of the, the post-match interview, I think uh, the question came up from Alexi Lalas and said that, uh, would you want, Bruce, would you want to go ahead and have some, some restrictions uh, with MLS in terms of the, the number of uh, foreign players that they, they could play? And rather than saying, yes, that's a good idea, that's a good start, what did he say? He said, he said um, what did he say? It, it, it was kind of a... Um, that that's something we we have to bring up. Oh, that's that 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 that's something that we should discuss. I mean, I, I don't know. It's just it's just it's just so frustrating. And that's the thing, though, too, because like Fox's point probably from this Kartik is that uh, having Bruce Arena on was a good thing because uh, it's almost like a car crash. You, you can't look away. People are going to tune in just to see what he says, if, even if it's something that uh, everyone disagrees with. People will tune in. Well, judging by the the TV numbers, we know that that's not true. I, I don't know. I, at the end of the day, I'm just really frustrated and very surprised that Fox would bring him on. If you're going to have somebody come on, I mean, have, I don't know, some of the candidates for the USSF uh, presidential election or have, have Sir Neil come on or have somebody that's uh, able to give a kind of a, a critical analysis of this U.S. men's national team, not to have somebody parroting the same things over and over again that um, there is no uh, U.S. soccer system is not broken and everything's hunky-dory. The most articulate and forceful advocate for change in this system right now, uh, at this point in time, it might change in a couple of weeks. Uh, a lot of things are fluid. Is Eric Winaldo, who normally is on that Fox set, although not for U.S. games, of course. He's not on for U.S. and MLS games. But I, I find it ironic uh, Winaldo was the one kind of real contrarian voice in their uh, in their group that he uh, – once he leaves, they, they get dig in even further. Uh, or once he takes a leave of absence to run for USSF president against Sunil Gulati, presumably, and, and several other candidates. One other point on this. I, I – f- I don't know what Landon Donovan's programming commitments are, but Donovan has some very refreshing takes as well on the U.S. soccer system, Uh, some that might surprise uh, folks out there because – a lot of people just stereotype him as a status quo MLS USSF apologist. He's not. 
he wasn't I, I thought he was going to be part of the, the the lead broadcast team for the World Cup. He was nowhere to be found on this broadcast. Now, maybe uh, there are other commitments he has. Maybe uh, he's coming in for the World Cup, but he's not going to do all these friendlies and, and pre World Cup qualifiers. But uh, he would have probably provided a nice little contrast uh, if he were in the booth with Stu Holden and, and John Strong during the match. I just was underwhelmed by the whole the whole presentation. Uh, and it's a shame because I thought Fox did a pretty good job. We'll talk about this in a, in a minute. I'm sure Fox did a pretty good job with the European playoff uh, World Cup qualifiers during the course of the week, including at the very same time on FS2 uh, doing, I thought, a really good job with the Denmark-Ireland uh, uh, tie. They had yeah. done a good job with both, both legs. But, uh, but again, when it comes to the U.S. and Major League Soccer, the U.S. men's national team in particular, there are things that uh, – Fox does that just uh, uh, are contrary to everything else that's done in, in soccer programming at yeah. this point in this country. Well, that's the thing that, that common sense goes out, out of the window whenever the U.S. men's national team is involved. And, and that's really at the end of the day, we've talked about this before. The best thing that could have happened to Fox in some ways, not, not from a revenue point of view, but is the U.S. not making it to the World Cup because now they're going to be able to we're going to be able to get some hopefully better analysis looking at the different teams and it's kind of a fair and balanced analysis rather than having it be rah-rah USA where it becomes suffocating after a while. It becomes really obnoxious. And, and, and yes, we all want the U.S. to do well. We all want to, the U.S. to, to improve. But uh, having this instance with Bruce Arena um, on the set, I mean, imagine if Taylor Twellman was on the set and Bruce Arena had said these things, what Taylor Twellman would have said, I mean, how he would have reacted. His eyes would have popped out. He would have like, wait a second, you, you just said this. And he would have grilled him on it. And, and I, I don't know whether with Fox, if it's complacency or if it's kind of kids' gloves, they want to kind of treat these um, – USSF individuals or, you mean, former coaches with kind of kids' gloves because they don't know where Bruce Arena is going to go next and kind of try to protect that relationship. Who knows? But it was, it was just uh, – it was horrible. It, really, really, really horrible it, to watch. In fairness – Looking at Alexi Lawless's body language, I think he was thinking the sort of things that we would have seen Twelman or Herc Gomez or Seb Salazar say if they'd been on set. Right. Uh, but uh, I, I thought just at the end of that segment, let's say at about 5.56 Eastern time, so 2.56 Pacific time, Lawless looked incre increasingly uncomfortable as Arena was saying the things he was saying. But, of course, he didn't he – didn't, um, he and, and Rob Stone didn't uh, put a stop to it, although Lawless did ask uh, uh, did ask Arena the question because I think he thought it was a loaded question and Arena would back off. Uh, something along the lines of, are you suggesting that uh, there be a quota uh, for American players on the field when Arena complained about the number of foreign players in MLS? And uh, Arena said something along the lines of, that would be that's something we should consider. Yeah, that's what he said. Thank you, Kartik. I, I was trying to remember what that line was. But rather than saying, yes, that's a fantastic idea, that's something we should uh, implement immediately, you mean, uh, you mean, he says what he says, and, and it's one of those things that's something we, we should consider. Okay? He's not a politician. You mean, he's a, he's an, a person who's very opinionated. I mean, Bruce Arena talking about Major League Soccer in the past in terms of you mean, whether it's travel or certain things, yeah. he comes out and says it the way it is. And, and uh, yeah, so <laughs> artificial turf he's talked about in the past. Oh my God. 
I mean, I know I even remember the game here in Orlando where uh, uh, Arena after the game match uh, there were some complaints. Well, why isn't Robbie Keener? He said, "Well, I'm not going to risk my star player on on artificial turf." Well, you lost the game four nothing. Oh, it's just a game. <laughs> I mean, it was great in the press conference. I was amused by it, but it's just one game. But he, uh, it, it, he is very outspoken that way. But this was pretty stunning because I think you and I would acknowledge Major League Soccer has become more interesting for us as people watching it because of the number of good foreign players who've come into the league the last few years, which in my opinion can do nothing but elevate the level of the Americans playing around them. Um, But their arenas seem to indicate, and I know there are people in U.S. soccer who feel the opposite, that, okay, now you're seeing uh, teams in MLS, top teams in MLS that are fielding 8, 9, 10 guys in single matches that are not eligible to play for the U.S. men's national team. This needs to stop. This is our league. Uh, We've had the same discussion in England and in Italy and and, and other places, but uh, I don't think uh, protectionism and nativism is the way to go at this point. Mm -hmm. Although maybe that's where they're going to go. Maybe they're going to try and force MLS to to stop uh, scouting Latin America so hard and bringing in players that are quite frankly superior to the American players in the league. Maybe that's uh, their solution. I will tell you as a television product that will really hurt Major League Soccer. The rate television ratings are poor already, but um, it's all very reactive and defensive, the, the, the uh, things that are coming, the narrative that's coming. So one other thing that uh, Rob Stone mentioned uh, on the show, I don't know if it was halftime or, or post-match, was that uh, hinting that, um, that Fox would be interested in um, covering TV broadcast-wise if there was any type of like national invitational tournament uh, scheduled uh, during the during I mean during the summer uh, taking the teams that didn't qualify for the World Cup such as the United States uh, Ireland Italy uh, maybe Wales uh, Chile and other countries uh, and having a mini tournament for those teams Kartik what's your thoughts on that well, first off, I want to say that uh, for the European countries, the countries in UEFA, it's important to get some friendlies in because many of our listeners may not be aware, and it may not dawn upon you until it actually starts, but the UEFA Nations League begins in September of 2018. What that is doing is essentially eliminating any friendlies off the calendar. You have, I think, now room for two friendlies in a uh, in, in a – uh, cycle before European qualifying, European uh, Euro Championship, Euro 2020 qualifying, and then two more friendlies before World Cup qualifying. That's it. So uh, because that's another competitive tournament, I think those European countries like uh, Republic of Ireland, like Northern Ireland, Wales, uh, it, that have been Italy that have been eliminated recently from World Cup qualifying need some extra games. So I think the idea of them having some sort of uh, friendly tournament or tournament for those countries to get to experiment a little bit with their squads because starting in September, they're having competitive matches again. I I tend to think is not a bad idea. Now, the idea of having a full-blown tournament marketed by Soccer United Marketing on U.S. soil with all of the uh, so-called losers of World Cup qualifying uh, from outside of UEFA, so you throw Ghana in there, you throw uh, uh, maybe you throw uh, People's Republic in there, maybe you throw in uh, Ecuador or uh, Chile, is, is, is just, I think, complete madness. And I'm not sure FIFA would uh, permit it. It's, um, it's a bit of a catch-22 because I do think it's important for these countries that have failed in qualifying to get games, right? 
to 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 to, be, uh, to kind of bleed in some of the youngsters. We saw this with the U.S. against Portugal. But the idea of a full blown tournament and Soccer United marketing marketing it, uh, manufacturing it much the same way as the Copa America Centenario was manufactured, uh, creating another tournament, creating more. Uh, and look, Chile didn't qualify for the World Cup, Chris. I still believe Chile didn't qualify for the World Cup because they had a tournament every summer. They had the real Copa in 2015, which they won. The um, manufactured Copa in 2016, which they won, and then the Confederations Cup, which is also to a large extent a useless tournament, which they got to the finals of in 2017. Guess what? They were worn down and they didn't qualify for the World Cup. Um, You can only have so many of these things. I think what would end up happening is you would have big-name countries. But as I said, Italy, Republic of Ireland, Wales, Northern Ireland, uh, etc., Greece, these countries that have been eliminated from European qualifying late on, would probably send youngsters to this tournament because they're trying to experiment and see what's going to work for um, the UEFA Nations League, which kicks off in September 2018. Uh, What will happen with the rest of the countries is there might be European clubs who say, we don't want our guys participating in this. Uh, Alexis Sanchez, well, he may not be at Arsenal at the time, so maybe that's a bad example. Arturo Vidal and Bayern. Bayern might say, look, these aren't, this isn't a serious competitive tournament. We don't want Vidal participating for Chile. Uh, he, he's been in a tournament every summer. So uh, forget it. He needs a summer off. And I think that's what will end up happening. As a television event, eh, I, I don't know. <laughs> Unless uh, the the Sum and uh, Fox or ESPN hype machines, whoever has, has this tournament, can really build it up, I think it'll probably lead to more mockery. And Honestly, Chris, probably more marginalization of the United States in the minds of so many people in world football. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a bad idea from, from top to bottom. I mean, one thing, Kartik, is that uh, I guess some uh, or USSF must think that most soccer fans in the United States are suckers. That, that you, mean, you mean put uh, Chile or Italy and, I don't know, Scotland and the United States in a tournament and then all of a sudden you mean fans are going to pay – you mean seventy-five dollars a ticket uh, and up to to watch these teams play, and again a, a meaningless friendly. Um, that's just, I mean, to me, disrespectful to to the average U.S. fan. If you're going to do something, I mean, have cheap, cheap ticket prices. Just find this a way to get get your players, get some experience, and get uh, I mean, some some people that can't afford to go to a lot of these games. Have them come get, coming out to the games and try to build your supporter space. Um, the second thing, though, Kartik, too, I think most of the European teams. Um, that didn't qualify. So the Italy's, Greece's of the world, um, Scotland, Wales, even um, the islands, etc. I think most of those teams would be probably competing in uh, friendlies against World Cup op- opposition um, in Europe. So you're going to have a lot of teams from around the world. They'll set up base, you know, in Western Europe or Eastern Europe, and will be playing these kind of uh, these warm-up friendlies before the actual World Cup itself. So a lot of these countries, like Italy, for example, probably would not want to come to the United States and play in, in a tournament because they're going to have maybe Brazil play or who, who knows what other teams playing against them in friendlies where they can get much better you know, experience and competition for the, for the Nations League. Yeah, that's a good point, and and I, I still remember very distinctly uh, what happened in 2002 when the United States scheduled the Dutch in a friendly. Uh, the Dutch had failed to qualify from that World Cup under Louis van Gaal, and uh, they scheduled them for a friendly. The Dutch brought pretty much an experimental squad and still beat the U.S. Uh, a point I want to make here, and this is important, and I know this will get a lot of people unhappy. 
Soccer United Marketing has uh, essentially funds Major League Soccer, right? And they now are going to have a shortfall of revenue from the the World Cup. They're going to have a shortfall of revenue from the send-off series, which is that series of games the U.S. will play on American soil before leaving for a World Cup. Mm-hmm. Two or three friendly matches where they gouge you with ticket prices and, uh, and, and build a lot of hype around the team going to the World Cup. And they have also had a shortfall in, re- in revenue in my opinion, and I think this you probably agree with this, because of the uh, emergence of, of Stephen Ross and Charlie Stoltano in relevant sports as a major player in getting European clubs to have tours of the United States but not use SUM as they did for years. In fact, Barcelona had an exclusive deal with some for years. Now they're coming and playing an international champions cup that has also affected the, the revenue stream for soccer United marketing. So this is probably Chris in many ways, an idea meant to finish the coffers of some, which are going to be significantly lower because of the U S failure and the um, success of uh, the International Champions Cup. And that, that probably, in reality, I gave some rationalizations for why it might be a good idea for some European countries because of the Nations League. All of that notwithstanding, this is probably predicated on the need to generate revenue for Major League Soccer owners. Oh, definitely. Mo- most definitely. And, and plus sponsorships, too. So um, the U.S. men's national team. And, and U.S. Well, U.S. Soccer Federation would have been counting on I mean, millions of dollars in sponsorship through, uh, I mean, big brands throughout the United States. You um, I mean sending them to the World Cup and associating their brand with with the U.S. Men's National Team? That's not going to happen. So they're losing. I mean, they're missing out on millions. And that's the thing too. I mean, this all go, comes back to Sunil Gulati, um, and we'll get to we'll get to that more in uh, the interview with uh, Alexia Lalas. All right, Kartik. So what else have you been watching this past week? Yeah, so uh, Northern Ireland, Switzerland, obviously watched both legs uh, of that uh, UEFA uh, playoff for for the World Cup. It was uh, John Champion and Taylor Twelman over both legs. They did an excellent job. Obviously, a controversial uh, result with Northern Ireland feeling hard done by the single goal in the tie, which was uh, a, a very controversial, very dodgy penalty, and we don't have VAR in World Cup qualifying. Uh, however, probably on the balance of place deserve to go through, but Northern Ireland uh, can certainly feel hard done. Uh, uh, The two games uh, between the Canadian women's national team and the U.S. women's national team this week, uh, Ian Dark and Julie Foudy on the first game, and that was uh, that was on ESPN or ESPN 2, no, I think on regular ESPN, and then the second game was on FS2. There is a definitive, and I I really like uh, uh, Katie Widom and and Ali Wagner and a lot of the people who contributed to the Fox uh, broadcast of women's soccer, but there is a different perspective when Julie Fowley is on the air as she is on ESPN. She's not um, as glowing positive about uh, everything that's been going on. And again, this might be a cultural thing between ESPN and right? But um, uh, Fowdy made it very clear, and, and I give ESPN credit for, for allowing her to have this conversation because uh, uh, she feels very strongly about it and, and, and tweets about it a lot and has talked about it on, on various shows she's been on, that she feels like uh, the development of young U.S. women's players has fallen behind the top women's sides in Europe and in uh, 
Oceania or Australia, right? Uh, I would say Oceania because of New Zealand and Australia as a geographic region, not as a, a soccer playing region. Obviously, Australia is in the Asian Confederation. But that basically we've fallen behind uh, Japan as well in, in terms of player development. And uh, she has serious concerns about about things. And she was allowed to articulate and air that on air. So I, I give uh, ESPN a lot of credit for that. Uh, Sweden, Italy, two legs, Kevin Keating and Gary Bertels, uh they were good calling this this tie uh, both legs. I, I have to say, Crystal, I th- detected some um, cynicism towards Italy, maybe some real sympathy, and, and uh, I don't want to outright bias, but uh, uh, support of, uh, of Sweden among these two who are, who are great professionals. But I think the play acting of Italy in the first leg uh, and the aggressiveness of Sweden, the, the high pressing, the, um, the joy they seem to be playing in such a momentous occasion in, in, in the first leg to, to, the, to these commentators, and, and they seem to be um, far more uh, favorable towards Sweden. Um, I, think, I, th- I think, Phil Kotick, I, I watched uh, both of these legs, and, and to me, the first leg, the Sweden-Italy uh, game, was, to me, the, the most entertaining game I've seen this past week. Uh, it was very physical, which, which I like sometimes, a very physical game, a lot of niggly fouls, uh, but some great, I mean, full-on attacking football, back and forth. And uh, I think I think in many ways, so too, it was probably mostly Gary Birdles in terms of, um, I, I think it was more frustration with Italy and just the way that they were playing, where they were being very cynical. But also in the second leg, uh, in terms of uh, Ventura not playing uh, uh, Insigne uh, on the pitch. And because Gary Birdles throughout the entire game was saying, okay, well, you mean looking at the bench? You mean it's, you mean he's got three substitutions left? He's got to bring on uh, Insigne to to play for the last I mean twenty minutes or something like that, and that kept on going on and on and on until like the very last sub that Italy made, and he and he didn't come on. So I, to me, it was more frustration. And actually, even on social media, there were uh, Italians posting saying like, even this English commentator know, knows uh, uh, who Ventura should be bringing on. And if he knows, then then that's the, <laughs> that shows you how bad uh, Ventura is. But I I don't know. To me, it was um, I think more frustration and disappointment in Italy rather than bias. At, at least that was my take on it. Yeah, and uh, ESPN FC. Very entertaining right after that match, after the second leg with Gavin Marcotti on. Uh, Bandini came on the next day to give his take. Uh, and uh, frustration, lots of unhappiness and anger from the Italian contingent. I, I thought uh, Fox uh, Studio was pretty good. Uh, Alexi Lawless was uh, was in pretty good form on, on Monday. He wasn't in great form on Tuesday. And again, that might have been because they were <laughs> submitting to Bruce Arena's uh, commentary. But uh, I, I thought a great job in presenting um, what was at stake and uh, everything around the potential of the Italians not qualifying for the World Cup. And now, again, this is something that might affect their bottom line. So they weren't uh, – I'm sure the execs weren't thrilled about it, but they wow. they presented it uh, objectively. Uh, the Denmark Republic of Ireland, uh, two legs, uh, both uh, D- D- uh, Bill Leslie and David Davy Pruton on both legs. Uh, Keith Costigan was sent to Copenhagen in the first leg and to uh, Dublin in the second leg by Fox. Good, uh, very good job uh, by them to to send uh, uh, Costigan to, to get some information to uh, to relay it back, uh, be live on camera. He got a, an exclusive interview with Christian Eriksen because normally. Uh, UEFA does uh, uh, interviews in in the players' native languages uh, after the game, but a good interview with Christian Eriksen in English after the um, 
um, first leg, uh, excuse me, after the second leg. I'm not sure if this, this actually aired on uh, yeah, I guess it did air on uh, on FS1 in the midst of the arena, um, the arena madness. So uh, give Fox credit for that. That was one really good element of that postgame show is that they had uh, they had the Costigan interview. Uh, this was a, uh, a, a another good presentation. He enjoy hosting uh, for uh, for Fox. Uh, Kate Abdo came into the studio for a number of these games this weekend. Uh, the um, the games that were on ESPN were John Champion and Taylor Twelman, and they had uh, ESPN FC studio with Seb Salazar around uh, those games. But I thought Fox did a pretty good job in, in how they presented these European qualifiers. Uh, elsewhere this weekend, the NASL final uh, with Chris Whittingham of, of San Francisco versus New York. Cosmos saw that. And then the USL final. And I've got some comments about this. Um, this was on ESPNU, and uh, Mike Watts and Kate McGrath were calling the match. Uh, those of you who follow U.S. soccer closely probably have already seen the controversy uh, associated with some uh, some things that they said when they felt like their mic was off. Uh, and I have to say I agree with every, every word that came out. Kate McGrath is, is pretty good to begin with, and she um, – she, I don't know what the future holds for her with USL because she was very uh, off, uh, you know, when she thought her mic was off, very uh, 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 opinionated about the playing surface and about the configuration of Slugger Field. Uh, uh, critiques I would completely agree with. Um, USL had a tape segment with Max Bredos, uh, who is one of my favorite people in, in soccer media, well, I mean, one of my favorite people in sports media. So it kind of pains me to say this because um, I assume Max was told what, what he had to say. Uh, they talked about Joe Cole and the expansion Tampa Bay Rowdies at halftime. Um, there is nothing expansion about the Tampa Bay Rowdies. The USL is a Division II league now. I've worked Tampa Bay Rowdies when I worked at NASL and I worked with the Fort Lauderdale Strikers. Uh, they, were, they have been a Division II team under U.S. sanctioning since 2010, whether it be the USSF Second Division, USSF Administered Second Division, NASL, or now USL. They were referred to as an expansion team. The conversation or the talking points that Max Bredos had to read uh, made it sound like they were a brand new team. And I really resented that. And I think that's exceedingly disrespectful to that organization, to those players, and especially to those fans mm -hmm. who have supported that club now for eight seasons, seven previous seasons, as I said, at the D2 level prior to uh, this move to USL. Um, but this is goes back, Chris, and this, I mean, this ties ties a bow on this entire discussion we had starting with the u.s portugal game this talks about the tribalism this speaks to the tribalism and business considerations of all the leagues and all the entities in u.s soccer which is making the game difficult to enjoy domestically because ideology and talking points seems to seems to trump actual on-field sporting considerations and uh, merit. I think the United States, much like its political system being kind of exceptional and having uh, legalized corruption, uh, has created kind of an institutional corporatism uh, exemplified by USSF and at times Major League Soccer and USL and at times NASL as well. Uh, no one's exempt from this. That is decidedly different than the world of football in other places. Yes, there's corruption everywhere around the globe uh, in this sport. Uh, one only has to open a newspaper or check the internet to see what's going on and, and see, you know, now we've got the big scandal with Televisa in Mexico and, and uh, uh, allegations of bribery by television networks of, uh, of common the ball officials. But there is something exceptional and uh, 
decidedly unhealthy about the kind of corporatism and talking points that come uh, from those involved in the game in the United States. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's not just about NASL, which which some of the listeners might be thinking that. that it's not that. It's, it's having an open honest conversation about all levels of u.s soccer i mean whether it's npsl or you, you look at look up and down the um the u.s soccer, soccer uh, pyramid well it's not really a pyramid but you mean you you look and there's a lot of leagues throughout the united states and there's a lot of teams uh, a lot of areas that their local team is an nasl team or their local team is an npsl team or a usl team you name it but there's very little discussion about lower league soccer and when there is such as bruce arena uh, you can tell that he doesn't even want to mention the words NASL. It, it's just it's it's completely frustrating, um, and a very fractured uh, country in terms of, of soccer in general. In terms of whether you're on this side or that or the other side, we're all in it together. And and, and that's the thing too. That's the most frustrating thing from the the broadcast perspective is that there should be. You mean conversations about what's going on in all the different leagues. Let's have updates on, on what's happening in USL or NASL or, or MLS or other leagues, um, rather than it being okay. We're just going to focus on Major League Soccer and forget forget everything else exists. But yeah, extremely frustrating, Kartik. Um, in terms of some of the things I've been watching this past week, uh, just to go through these real quickly. Uh, so Croatia against Greece, uh, the first leg on ESPN three. Uh, we had uh, Adrian Healy and Craig Burley on the commentary. And yet again, Adrian Healy, when he's not commentating an MLS game, he's great. This is a really uh, enjoyable uh, commentary by him and, and Craig Burley in a very open game for a, for a first leg. And the, the Greek defense got completely ripped apart uh, after stri- a string of individual mistakes in this one. And uh, Croatia went on to win this match and then uh, went through uh, on the second leg. So uh, South Africa against uh, Senegal on being sports and watched uh, the second half of this match, a comfortable win for Senegal, and then Senegal qualified for the, uh, the World Cup. Uh, also watched uh, Honduras against Australia, the first leg. And uh, this one uh, in Honduras was a really comfortable nil-nil draw for Australia. Just they, they weren't tested that much. And um, again, in the second leg, uh, a pretty comfortable walkthrough to, to qualify for the World Cup. Uh, like you, t- Kartik, I saw the, um, the final, NESL final, in, uh, with uh, San Francisco Adultas against New York Cosmos, and um, I enjoyed watching that one. And then um, other matches, I saw l- little bits and pieces of the England-Brazil game with Martin Tyler and Stuart Robson on Fox Soccer Plus. Uh, I was watching the Ireland-Denmark game, and then I, s- I would switch over to uh, the U.S.-Portugal game. When I did tune into the U.S.-Portugal game, when it was John Strong and Stuart Holden on the commentary, it, it felt like a, again, it felt like a chat show. It, they weren't commentating on the game. They were just talking about Major League Soccer and this player with the New York Red Bulls and this and that. And it felt like a discussion show rather than two commentators commentating on a game. Um, and then I tuned in, of course, for the halftime and post-match to kind of hear what uh, Bruce Arena had to say. Chris, this is where, again, I... I don't know where Landon Donovan is and if maybe he has other commitments he probably does and that's why he he won't be with Fox until the World Cup or wasn't available for this US friendly I think he could have broken up that monotony he has made publicly some very strong critiques of of the US soccer system the last few weeks I've been impressed with what he's had and think he's been on point 
it, it, for whatever reason, he I, – I thought that they were uh, – and maybe I've misread this. I thought they were working towards a three-man booth for U.S. games uh, with, the, with Holden, Strong, and Donovan. But Donovan was nowhere to be found, and uh, obviously there's no U.S. games now in the World Cup, so perhaps their plans have changed. Possibly, yeah. It could be scheduling. It could be that uh, Donovan was uh, away on business, perhaps, or it could be um, the changing the structure of the uh, the booth, uh, the, the kind of the, the pairing of the commentators. I mean, with the U.S. out of the uh, the World Cup, I mean, uh, that definitely is going to have an impact on the selection of the commentators and who's going to be paired with who. I believe uh, we'll have to wait and see what that final list uh, is going to look like and, and who's going to be paired with who. But uh, yeah, Carter, you're absolutely right in terms of. Um, this, this was a match that was crying out for Landon Donovan to step in and give us some of his honest opinions. Uh, before we move on to the next segment, so I do want to say that in terms of this World Cup uh, and upcoming for, for Fox, this is almost like a nightmare scenario, Kartik, because obviously the U.S. crashing out of the World Cup, that's a massive blow. But also Italy crashing out and Ireland crashing out, that's going to have a, a big impact on the TV ratings. In the United States, there's 34 million Americans who consider themselves either Irish or part Irish. So even for mainstream sports fans that are really not into soccer, but they're uh, Irish or of uh, Irish heritage, or maybe they're massive soccer fans, whatever the case may be, they're going to be missing out on watching uh, this World Cup. They may probably have less of an interest in, in watching I mean, uh, all these other teams play. The other thing, too, there's uh, 15 million Italian-Americans who live in the United States and Italy not making it into the World Cup, that's going to have an impact too. So those two things combined, plus the U.S. crashing out, it's, it's almost an uh, absolutely worst-case scenario for Fox Sports. Thankfully, Germany's through. There's a lot of people with German heritage in the United States and Mexico. But Mexico, to me, is going to be a slam dunk for Telemundo Deportes. So in all in all, it's been, it's been a horrible t- a couple of months for uh, for Fox, especially this past week. Yeah, there are a lot of uh, people uh, that I know that casually follow soccer and watch the World Cup every four years to watch Italy. Um, I've had this conversation many times with our former colleague, Richard Farley, and it can't help uh, Sweden getting in over Italy. It can't, it can't help. I mean, I think it, it creates a different flavor for the tournament. I really like the fact that we have three Scandinavian countries in the World Cup. That, I, to my knowledge, has never happened before. Uh, that I can remember uh, in Iceland, uh, Sweden, and Denmark. But uh, certainly that a driver of ratings. None of those countries right. drive ratings the way uh, Republic of Ireland or or Italy or even maybe even Northern Ireland would have, uh, crashing out to Switzerland, obviously, in comparable fashion. Yep. All right, Kartik, let's move on to TV streaming news. Yeah, this has been a topic of much conversation since uh, Iger mentioned it last week. Uh, in, in a teleconference, but Disney has in, announced a uh, new sports streaming platform called ESPN Plus that will be a play platform debuting in spring 2018. They indicated that there will be less content than Netflix, so it may not cost as much as Netflix, uh, but more, it's going to cost more and more money now to uh, watch every, uh, every sporting event or every soccer event you want. We already have this Turner service that's going to launch in time for uh, Champions League in uh, f- fall or, or the summer of 2018. I want to mention something real quick on ESPN Plus. That was the that 
uh, is a recycled uh, name that ESPN used to brand uh, coverage of college football and college basketball that they syndicated in the early 2000s. And uh, I think the most prominent person who was on that ESPN Plus, ironically enough, our friend Rob Stone, who's now at Fox. Uh, it's, it's interesting that they've recycled that. I watched many games, which uh, uh, Rob Stone did, uh, Miami Hurricane basketball games in those days that was uh, syndicated, ESPN branded, and ESPN produced coverage that would show up on uh, – for example, in, in our area, in, in the Miami Fort Lauderdale market on Channel 33 or Channel 39 on, on over-the-air channels. So uh, they're, uh, they're, they're recycling a name that they had retired probably about 10 years ago. Yeah, and uh, Disney has not uh, mentioned which leagues, uh, which, uh, which leagues are going to be on this ESPN Plus uh, streaming product that's going to be exclusive to, to Disney. Uh, if I had a guess, Kartik, I would say this is going to be Major League Soccer and the championship. And what yes. they'll probably do is take those rights, put them on the ESPN Plus, and the only way uh, for a cord cutter uh, to be able to watch these games is by subscribing to ESPN Plus for a, sub- a separate subscription package, which is probably not going to be available through Sling TV or, or PlayStation View or YouTube TV or Fubo or, or any of these. And that's that's kind of where the... The business is moving to, I mean, NBC Sports Gold, where they have exclusive games that are only available through NBC Sports Gold. Uh, you've got, you're going to have the same thing next year with Turner having a championship, um, Champions League uh, streaming package where most of the games are only going to be exclusively available through that product. And now you've got ESPN. Um, and who knows down the road, maybe Fox will create something similar where they have their own exclusive uh, streaming package that you can only get it through them perhaps maybe not we'll see but it's um i don't know we have to wait and see what happens but uh not good news i don't think uh next up Kartik, is that fox sports made an official statement this week after one of their ex- uh, one of the executives from south america uh was in court for the fifa corruption trial and he accused uh, fox of ex- accepting bribes for tv rights uh, we received the following statement from fox sports this week which reads Uh, Any suggestion that Fox Sports knew of or approved of any bribes is emphatically false. Fox Sports had no operational control of the entity which uh, Buzaco ran. The entity ran by Buzaco was a subsidiary of Fox Pan American Sports, which in 2008, at the time of the contract in question, was majority owned by a a private equity firm and under their operational and management control. So that's definitely um, focused on Fox Sports in South America, and it looks like it's no involvement with Fox Sports in North America. Yeah, uh, well, we'll keep an eye on that because uh, people are buzzing about it. Telemundo Deportes has added the 2017 World, FIFA World Club Cup to its properties. They'll have Spanish language rights to the competition, which will be played in the United Arab Emirates from December 6th uh, to the 16th. Uh, the teams participating include Real Madrid, Pachuca, and Auckland City, among others. And that's uh, now just a few weeks away. Yeah, and next, the next news uh, is that uh, there's been a report that's been issued that's uh, shown the top 10 most popular uh, OTT subscribers. So this would be over-the-top uh, streaming packages that are available uh, as a separate package, separate from your cable or, or satellite. So number one, no surprise, is Netflix. Number two is Amazon Prime. Number three is Hulu, and that's the Hulu that's uh, not the Hulu Live, but the Hulu product. Uh, number four is Major League uh, MLB.TV. Number five, HBO Now. Number six is Stars. 
Seven, YouTube Red. Eight is Showtime. Nine is CBS All Access. And then number 10 is Sling TV. So out of all of those, really it's Sling TV at number 10, which is more your soccer-centric uh, streaming service that also has a lot of other programming. But as we mentioned in last week's podcast, too, with Amazon Prime, picking up the Manchester City documentary, uh, which will probably be out next year, um, they're starting to get more and more into the, the soccer business, too. So interesting uh, to see that top 10. I would also... Netflix has a number of good soccer documentaries that you can't find elsewhere, uh, that you can't even really find on the uh, the internet uh, outside of Netflix that that you can stream. So uh, there is some soccer content there as well, and some of those uh, same documentaries are on Amazon Prime. Uh, moving on, MLS TV ratings for the 2017 regular season came slightly above last season's numbers. Uh, ESPN's numbers were down uh, from the 274,000 average they had last season to 272 this season. Fox's numbers increased by about 5% uh, from 224 uh, to 236 uh, for games that were on FS1. Uh, and then last but not least, Univision saw a 5% increase uh, from 252,000 to 265,000 viewers. Now, uh, Keep in mind, Atlanta United was playing their first season, and they were probably, if you go back and look week by week, the most popular team uh, ratings-wise. So that could account for almost all of that bump. Mm -hmm. Yeah, plus in postseason two, which doesn't include these numbers, uh, Columbus Crew, there's a lot of people tuning in just to watch them, uh, whether you love them or hate them, or love MLS or hate MLS. There's a lot of people that have been tuning in to watch those games. So it'll be interesting to see what impact uh, Columbus Crew has on the the uh, playoff numbers, but also next season, if uh, if we find out in the next several weeks that uh, they're definitely moving to Austin, Texas in 2019, what that does to the 2018 MLS TV ratings, if uh, people are going to just stop watching Columbus Crew altogether. In some ways, it probably is not going to have much of an impact, though, Kartik, because uh, Columbus Crew isn't shown on national television much, I think maybe once or twice the entire season, regular season, um, in 2017. So uh, it, it is what it is. Okay, moving on to TV ratings. Uh, we don't have a lot of numbers to, re to report so far. Uh, we, we're still compiling those, and as soon as we get them all, we'll publish them at worldsoccertalk.com. Uh, we already mentioned the Portugal-USA game, and that was 169,000 viewers, not 165,000, but still a low number there. Uh, another number, Kartik, that uh, was interesting to me was uh, Chivas against Club America, the women's teams. And this was um, on Univision Deportes uh, on Saturday uh, from 5 to 7 p.m. Eastern. That had 154,000 viewers watching that game, which is actually, uh, that's a great number. Yeah, surprisingly high number, but I guess uh, when you have those two brands involved, people will watch, uh, and that's great. I mean, I'm, I'm happy to see some high-level women's soccer uh, in Mexico. For so many years, Mexican uh, players, women's players, have to come to the U.S.-based leagues to, uh, to get any sort of real professional atmosphere. Okay, let's move on to listener mailbag. Uh, the first one is from John Pet Patrick Manning from Twitter, and he says, uh, I enjoyed your latest pod with Kartik. I've listened to almost all 50 episodes. Regarding the Columbus Crew move, no surprise. Uh, MLS did the same to our San Jose Earthquakes in 2005, a team with, one, better support, two, a richer history, and three, more field success. Uh, the next up is from uh, Shai Gardner, and he sent this in through email. 
And uh, Shai says, uh, so I was listening to the last pod and found your views very interesting about the changes that need to happen in order for Major League Soccer and soccer in the U.S. to grow. Assuming that there must be reasons why MLS has chosen to do things the way they do, I thought I would do a search to find out why. And I, and I came across an, a very interesting article from Bleacher Report, and this is in regards to uh, calendar changes. Although it was written back in 2013, I do believe that most of the article, uh, most of the points made in the article uh, still hold true, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts. I love the pod and keep up the amazing job. So, Shai, I went ahead and, and looked at this uh, article. Uh, it's from 2013, and unfortunately, it's the same old Bleacher Report crap. Uh, the article comes off with some very weak points about why MLS should not change um, the calendar, uh, including one that says that a split season would not work because the average American doesn't take a two-month break in the middle of the work year, so professional athletes shouldn't do that either. Oh, uh, God. And, and then also, he has some other opinions uh, in the article, too, about why MLS should not change its calendar, and most of them are based on comparing MLS to other sports leagues in the United States. Um, and, and to me, that, that's, that's one of the big issues, Kartik, is that a lot of the conversation and discussion is, is uh, about how this impacts uh, MLS in, in comparison to NBA, and what it should be, actually, how does this... How do these changes, or how does the current calendar impact MLS with the rest of the, the soccer world? Yeah, uh, this calendar discussion, which I, I'm uh, pretty adamant about, and uh, Eric Winalda has raised as a major point, uh, uh, tenant of, of, of his campaign for USSF president, is uh, based around how the rest of the world of football uh Operates, And if we're going to be in a self-contained vacuum and just want to promote a league of specific league's health over that, over the considerations about the U.S. and Canada integrating into the global game in a more thorough and complete way, which will benefit the entire soccer landscape in this country. Sure. Let's let, let's let's throw throw stones at any discussion about the calendar and let's just uh Let's just come out and say it. We're more concerned about the financial health of Major League Soccer and its owners and the the right to be exceptional than actually fixing the overall landscape. So uh, I, I get so much pushback on the calendar discussion. And to me, quite frankly, most of the arguments don't make sense if you're thinking about it from a broader perspective. But if you're thinking about it from a very niche American sporting perspective and you're comparing yourself to other American sports leagues and not to the global game of football, uh, I guess the current calendar makes perfect sense then. Next up is Mike Diodata. Uh, he sent this in through Twitter. And this is in regards to last week's topic about uh, which clubs are from Europe are doing the best job at marketing themselves in the United States. And Mike says, uh, I didn't have a club. I had followed Under Armour and Spurs, um, the, Spur, the Tottenham Hotspur deal that they signed with Under Armour for, th for 2012, uh, where they flooded the U.S. market. I found them through, I found Spurs through Under Armour. I like the logo, the colors. I started playing them uh, on FIFA. Now I'm totally in love with the club, and now I'm a Spurs supporter to the core. Which does go to show in terms of... Uh, those kit deals that uh, with with different uh, whether it's a, a Puma or I mean a Nike Adidas I mean you go down the list it does have an impact on growing that fan base and and if you're like you said to Kartik about last week's show um, with the Borussia Dortmund uh, shirts a lot easier to find than some other clubs and it does make a difference and it can win over fans and it, and it can in this case uh, probably uh, win over 
a fan to become a Spurs supporter for the rest of his life, even though they're, they're now with Nike. Yeah, um, I, I completely agree on that. And, and I think that Spurs, as we talked about, um, now they're with Nike, but they've done, they used the Under Armour partnership to really leverage themselves in the U.S. market. Uh, they've just done a masterful job of tr- going after this market. Yeah, yeah. And another example of how Spurs are doing so great in that regard. Uh, the last uh, message in our list of mailbag is from Sean Backus, and he sent this in through email. He says, um, I can't believe you didn't talk about Chelsea's marketing in the U.S. They've done a number of friendlies and tours in the United States and even played one or two matches in Canada, just like Liverpool. I'm no expert, but the marketing Chelsea has done was worth a mention, especially with them being higher in the table currently than Liverpool and their growth in, growth in popularity over the, the past 15 years or so. You guys spoke about even Schalke and Bayer Leverkusen and barely made mention of Chelsea. Chelsea only came up with a very brief mention when you guys were talking about Adidas and Nike's marketing of clubs. I get the feeling you guys are anti-Chelsea on some level. Try being a little bit more objective. This podcast is definitely not on my must-listen list. List uh, It just gives me something to listen to while I'm at work. Not trying to be a jerk, but just giving honest feedback. Good podcast otherwise, but there's definitely room for improvement, as with most things in life. And, and Sean, we agree. Uh, absolutely. Uh, we, we missed out. We should have mentioned Chelsea uh, in more detail, definitely. Part of the issue, I think, with last week's podcast is we were having some audio technical difficulties, so we try to keep that segment a little bit shorter than usual. Um, but Chelsea, I, I think, by yeah, without any shadow of a doubt, have done an incredible job. I mean, this is going back over a decade in terms yeah, of I, almost every summer. Yeah, Chris, I think that might have been why, one, we were having technical difficulties. Thanks for reminding us of that. And two, the Chelsea uh, phenomenon, the U.S. started before that of other clubs. They really marketed themselves aggressively in 2004 and 2005 and 2006. I was at the MLS All-Star Game in 2006, and Chelsea uh, were in Chicago for several days, really uh, penetrating a market that other European clubs hadn't discovered yet at that time uh, and hadn't taken very seriously. So I give them a lot of Maybe we neglected it because it was it, it's been so long term versus the Spurs thing, which has been more recent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And for me personally, I see Chelsea shirts all over the place. I mean, whether it's uh, at uh, kids soccer games or just on, st- on the streets, uh, lots of Chelsea fans in the U.S. So we apologize for uh, missing out on that. And we should have mentioned it. Uh, you can tweet us uh, if you have any questions, feedback, comments, uh, suggestions, etc. Uh, you can tweet us at uh, World. Actually, no, it's at W Soccer Talk. My apologies. Uh, or send us an email to web at worldsoccertalk.com or message us on Facebook at facebook.com/slash worldsoccertalk. Now, Kartik, moving on to our feature topic of the week, and um, this this podcast we have an interview with Alexi Lalas. So let's go ahead and roll that. So, so, first of all, thanks for taking time to discuss uh, the state of U.S. soccer, as well as your position at Fox Sports. The, the first question I have, Alexi, is um, in your role at Fox Sports, um, why have you been so reluct- reluctant to publicly criticize Sunil Gulati? Um, well, I think uh, if you look back, I've asked questions. I've been... Um, critical of things like uh, giving Jurgen Klinsmann a extension uh, or at a time voting for Sepp Blatter when uh, abstaining may have been better in terms of the message. When it comes to the present, if you will, uh, number one, uh, he's not running right now. 
Um, does he deserve criticism in terms? And so I, I, I want to separate out the election part of it, maybe from the actual World Cup part of it, if, if that's okay. Sure. So if it comes not making the World Cup, uh, does he deserve criticism and does he deserve to be um, asked questions? Absolutely. So uh, I don't know where and when you would like me to ask him those questions, but um, at a certain point, certainly I'd love to uh, be able to ask him you know, why this happened or why this happened or why he feels he deserves to continue if that is something that he is going to do. Okay. So, so you've, you've been very active on Twitter uh, where you've raised a lot of excellent questions and topics. Have you discussed with Fox executives the possibility of doing a daily talk, a soccer talk show? A soccer talk, like a, a podcast or something like well, that? Well, not, not a podcast because, uh, I mean, I'm a big fan of the mutant gene. And it's been, a, it's been several months since the last one. But, but in terms of, <laughs> kind of like a, an ESPN yeah. FC show type of show or a the old Fox Soccer Report, kind of a daily show. Because what, what ends up happening is that we get little sound bites here and there, say on, say, halftime yeah, of a Portugal-U.S. Yeah. game. And, and we don't get time for you to go deeper into some of these topics where I know, I know you have a lot of, you mean, a lot of, honest yep. opinions. Um, have, you had, have you had a chance to kind of talk about that in terms of internally and see if that's yeah, a possibility? Yeah, it's, it's been discussed. Yeah, it's been discussed for, for, for a long time, actually. But obviously having the space available, the, um, you know, the support to do something like that and the belief that it's going to resonate out there, those are, those are different things. Uh, I would love to be able to do a daily show on uh, the world of soccer and obviously specific to uh, to the United States uh, on FS1. But the fact is that that's not something that has been offered. Um, has it been talked about? Yeah, but it's got to make sense. And it's got to be something that, uh, you know, people that are my bosses believe uh, is something to have, uh, is something to do. Now, we've had podcasts and that kind of stuff, but you're absolutely right. You know, at times in my whatever it ends up being, uh, a minute to a minute and 10 seconds at a halftime every week or every couple of weeks uh, for me to, you know, give my opinion on something. And then it just sits there in this, uh, in, in this confined type of space for oftentimes something that certainly I think we'd all admit, and, and I would certainly admit, deserves more layer, deserves more context, deserves more breadth in terms, in terms of uh, really delving into some of these to topics that, that are very, very complex. But Television doesn't afford that, and part of my job is to give my opinion in a very short period of time to edit myself either on the fly or beforehand so that it fits into what television is giving me. But I completely agree. I would love to have um, uh, more time and space to be able to delve into the topics that I do talk about and for me to give uh, a much more nuanced and, and longer type of response than, uh, than, than the current traditional format on television gives me. And just a follow-up question on that too. So, with the manufactured debates that I, I know, I know you and Richard Deitch has talked about quite extensively. But with the mm -hmm. manufactured debates that Fox Sports does, as well as your, your persona on Fox and the position that, that you're in, it's oft, often difficult for the viewer to figure out who the real Alexi Lalas is. Um, how much of what you mm -hmm. do on camera is a character versus the real you? Well, number one, uh, it's not my responsibility to. Uh, show who <laughs> I, I, I'm not, I hate talking to the third person, but just because it's off of your question to show who the real Alexi Lawless is. 
Um, I, I, I make no bones about it, and I certainly don't apologize for the fact, and I've said this before, and I know you've heard this, that I am a performer. I'm in the entertainment business. Uh, the way I say things uh, and certainly the optics of, of how I'm saying things are as, as important as what I say. I give a performance. But in no way does that mean that what I say can't be authentic uh, and genuine and honest. And I, I, can, I can tell you, and you can believe me or not, because that's certainly your prerogative, uh, when I write things, do I write things uh, and, and then say things and perform them in a way that is going to be um, provocative uh, and it is going to uh, titillate uh, and or uh, anger um, and or elicit some sort of response? Absolutely. Uh, that is, and, and I'm, I'm certainly not going to apologize for that. As a matter of fact, that is the way I see it, part of my job. As far as, as who I am as a person, uh, look, we are performing right now. Uh, you performing, I am performing. We are doing what is best for this type of environment and this type of platform that is a podcast. And that's okay. I have no, I have no problem with that. Uh, probably the only time that I'm going to know who you are whether it's, whether it's you, Chris, or whether it's you, Kartik, who you are is in the middle of the night if I were to ever wake you up uh, at your most vulnerable and at your most honest, and then maybe I might get a picture of exactly who we are. But that's not going to happen for you. It's not going to happen for Kartik, and it's certainly not going to happen for me anytime. So until that time, we're just going to have to make do. And you can believe me or you cannot believe me. You can think that I'm putting on a, a character or you think I'm putting on an act uh, or not. But ultimately, you know, my responsibility is obviously to my employer and my responsibility is to my medium, and that is to make sure that it is both entertaining and informative each and every time that red light goes on. Kotick? Yeah, let, let me ask you, Alexi. You do a great job with the Ask Alexi on Periscope and interacting with your Twitter followers. Is that something you would like to do on FoxSports.com, for instance, because FoxSports.com has gone heavy in, into the video department recently? And maybe if we had an Ask Alexi on FoxSports.com <laughs> rather than on Periscope, maybe we, we get more traffic, more interest. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting because, you know, what is a platform nowadays? I mean, you, you have it in your hand right now with, with the phone that you have, and that is a, a really kind of just a broadcast platform. And so the way, I, the way I look at it when it comes to Periscope or Facebook Live or any of these platforms is, first and foremost, I look at it as training. And, and if you've watched me before, you know, I, I started off every single time telling people and thanking people because uh, it, is, it is for me – um, kind of, and I, and I use the analogy of a, a comedian working stuff out. And oftentimes the stuff that I talk about does in certain ways make it to my performance on television. But in essence, what we're doing, and, and you've hit it, hit, hit it right on the head, is I'm doing a show every single day because I'm on, you know, for 45 minutes, and it's basically just a show. Now, the content is being derived by oftentimes the questions that I'm getting uh, or stuff that has happened overnight that I'm, that I'm responding to. But really what you're seeing is – a really crude and raw version, but still a version of uh, of a show that certainly could be easily, if it's cleaned up a little bit, put on the digital platform or even just a traditional platform uh, in, in terms of a soccer show that deals with current events and stuff that's happening and that instantaneous and now maybe more important 
uh, interaction that happens that is something new in terms of television as opposed to a scripted type of thing. But now having that live and that live inter a component that is so much about what we do in social media uh, and on these new platforms, if you can incorporate all that, yeah, that'd be a, that would be a hell of a show. Transitioning to this uh, current presidential election for U.S. soccer, you've done a fantastic job, in my opinion, of raising some serious issues on Twitter and getting the candidates, whether it be Steve Gantz or Eric Winalda or Carlos Cordero, whoever, to respond uh, to you. But why aren't those same questions being asked by you of Sunil Gulati, who is the incumbent? I know you say he is not as of yet running for re-election, but the entire framework of the debate is being shaped by the job he's done and uh, perceived shortfalls of his uh, tenure. So why are you asking the candidates some very, very good and important questions, but not uh, addressing the sitting president of U.S. soccer? Yeah, so uh, so I've changed that uh, over the last uh, week or so. Uh, in that the last batch of questions, I did add Sunil Gulati in terms of tagging him, and that was you know it was brought to my attention. And um, you know, I and, and maybe you know, look, I, I learn things and I and I change my view on things. And I think a couple people were taking me to task on Twitter um, about the fact that I wasn't tagging him and including him in it. And my response was and and, and has been that he's not running. I think that, that that is important and that is valid. And, and I do think that for those that accuse me or anybody else of not asking these questions before of Sunil, the fact is that a lot of this stuff happened the day after the Trinidad uh, game. And I know people will say, I've been thinking about this before and all, but the reality is that that is a seminal moment. And that changed a lot of people's views. And it was a moment that a lot of people looked at as an opportunity to use to ask the that maybe they wanted to ask before, but nobody had asked them. Uh, asked before. That's, that's neither good or bad, but that's just the reality uh, of the situation. Questions that, that I'm asking right now, I do now include uh, Sunil Gulati because I thought about it. And I said, you know what? Uh, if if he is going to run, you know, he's just laying low right now, and maybe that's to his advantage. So if he's gaining an advantage by not by not running right now and not being public, I shouldn't let that advantage go in terms of the questions that I'm asking. Now, now keep in mind, guys, look, I'm asking these questions. I'm not a voter, and I, I don't know, but I'm, I'm assuming neither of you two are, are voters either. Uh, this, uh, this, um, you know, this echo chamber at times that is, that is Twitter, it's easy for me to ask questions. And for me, to be quite honest, while I'd love for them all to answer it, it's much more about getting those questions out there. And I would love for a, a much more formal type of forum or a debate or whatever you want to call it panel the way we saw last week to happen on a consistent basis with everybody and some of these questions uh, to be answered because I think that there is there is good stuff the fact that I'm not the only one there's lots of people that are asking questions right now but I don't know how many of them ultimately are going to be answered but I have changed in terms of my view of asking Sunil these questions on Twitter and I have included him going forward because I think I think it's fair and I think it's right to do going forward. Let me ask you, the other day on the air after the U.S.-Portugal game, uh, you and Rob Stone interacted with former men's national team coach Bruce Arena, two-time men's national team coach Bruce Arena, and uh, he made a, a strange statement about the number of foreign players in Major League Soccer. You followed up with, I thought, a very good point. Would you consider some sort of uh, arbitrary uh, limit or arbitrary requirement that a certain number of USMNT uh, eligible players are on, on the field, on the pitch at one time? Uh, then you guys ran out of time. Uh, 
yeah. that was an unfinished discussion. And uh, what Rena said rubbed me the wrong way because I think MLS as a league has improved in the last five years because of going out and getting Ladero and Valeri and Mauro Diaz and on and on and on. I could name 20 guys. If you take those guys away from the league, I think personally – that hurts the level of the American player. Uh, what are your opinions on that, since you didn't get to finish your... So first, yeah, so first off, just, just in general about the Bruce Arena appearance, and I'll be interested to hear your opinion. If, uh, if Bruce Arena had, uh, um, had come to you and said uh, he was willing to come on uh, World Soccer Talk, would you have had him on? I, I mean, me, me personally, I would... Uh... Probably not, actually, to be honest with you. Uh, liar. Come on, Chris. You big liar. I, I think we probably would have had him on, but we might have put a little more distance between uh, the TNT debacle and actually having him on. But oh, I think oh, we oh, probably... We either, either we would have grilled him or, or basically said, okay, let's just wait maybe wait, wait, wait six months until things calm down and then we'll talk, talk to you then. But I, I wouldn't say... I would have to think about it. It, would, it wouldn't be kind of a definitely, yes, let's go get him. Uh, I would have much preferred to have somebody yeah, well, coming well, in. So, so, yeah, and and and, and so that, that's that's the first thing. And I know he and and Fox, for that matter, have come in for for plenty of criticism, which is all valid and and and, and fair. And we take it every day. I certainly take it every day uh, for 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 both the decision from Fox to have him on and the decision of Bruce Arena to to, to come on. Uh, I submit to you that whether it's you or any any other platform outlet out there. If Bruce Arena had uh, agreed to come on, you would do it because you know that it would bring attention. Maybe it would bring uh, negative attention to you or to or to him. But the fact is that there was the, the good far away outweighs the bad. But you also, and it goes back to this point of, of television, uh, there's just not enough time. And while we were trying to fire as many questions as possible, um, it, it, we, we, we certainly ran out of time. And we could have gone on for another hour to ask him uh, questions. And inevitably, the questions that I ask or the questions that Rob asks, somebody's going to say, well, why didn't you either ask it this way or why didn't you ask this question? Or I was sitting at home and I really wanted you to say to him, why didn't you play Jeff, Jeff Cameron or something like that? So there's a million other questions that we uh, that we that, that that certainly we could have answered or could have could have asked him as far as his as, as his answers. Look, I knew uh, that Bruce Arena was going to give answers that were going to be interesting, that were going to be um, provocative, and that were going to be answers that people were going to talk about. And that's that's guys, that's that's good television. That's that's the business that I'm in to a certain extent. That's certainly the business that you are in terms of providing good quality, interesting, uh, and entertaining content out there. You might not agree with it. But I think oftentimes I think you guys have taken me to task for different things that I've done. And what I see behind it when you accuse me or anybody else of uh, being dishonest or, um, or being a shill or, you know, for Fox or for USSF or anything like that is really what you're saying is what I'm saying you disagree with. And in that, that's where you, uh, you, uh, you look at me. And you look at me and say, well, you know, you're not being authentic. You're not being genuine. You're not being truthful and stuff like that. You might not agree with what Bruce Serena said, but I think you have to at least respect the fact that he came on, he answered those questions, and you guys are still talking about it, and everybody is still talking about it right now. And that, from an entertainment perspective, is important. And that, from a business perspective, if you're in the entertainment business, I think is important. And I think I've, I've gone roundabout, so I want to get back to the, the response that Bruce gave whether it was uh, the response regarding uh, mandating players play. I mean, you guys know that while on the surface that sounds okay 
And MLS, if you look, I, and I did this, I, I opened up one of the old um, media guides, and, and, uh, and, and it showed and it said that even from 1996, one of the uh, founding principles of MLS was to help the American player. MLS has got a problem going forward because there's a trend right now of less and less minutes for U.S. men's national team eligible players. So why should, for example, the United States Soccer Federation support MLS if it's not helping potential U.S. men's national team players? So do you mandate it? And if you do mandate it, do you get into a, a slippery slope where you're playing players that don't even deserve to be there? Do you get into a situation where you make them softer, I guess, in terms of a less competitive environment because they are being gifted opportunities? Uh, or do you make it a, uh, a circus where, uh, and we've seen this before, where you put a player on for two minutes and then you take them off after two minutes just to satisfy some sort of requirement? So all of those things are important. I am of the belief that if you want to field an entirely uh, non-American uh, non team, uh, you want to have all players from different countries, uh, all foreign players, Go ahead. If that's what you feel is best for your market, if that's what you feel is best for your, your MLS business, then have at it. I do think that ultimately American players and their talent will win out. But you guys also know that oftentimes the perception is different than the actual quality and the reality. And the perception is that if you sign foreign players, that you are being much more ambitious, that you are bringing in better, uh, better quality, that you, are bringing in, uh, that you are more credible, and that you are more authentic. And oftentimes that the United States or, or American player uh, just can't compete in terms of that, that perception uh, versus that reality. Okay, Karthik, we're actually running out of time, but one more question for, uh, for Alexi, if that's all right. It's all right. You guys yeah. can go. I know, I know Claudia's on the other end, and I know, and I know that, but I, I enjoy talking to you guys, and I know she's <laughs> going to be mad at me for, keeping, for, for going on, but let's, you know, let's, let's give it the time that it, that it, that it, that it deserves to either uh, you know, ask questions or to criticize or critique or anything like that because that's basically what we've been talking about is we don't have enough time in these type of scenarios, and I don't want that to be said for something like this that basically is just more what – uh, digital time, which is doesn't cost anything. Okay, thank you. Great. I, I appreciate that, Alexi. Thank you. Uh, as a follow-up to that, uh, as a broadcaster who covers MLS games, and obviously you, you pair with John Strong often, you're in studio sometimes with Rob Stone, uh, obviously depends on the week and, and the assignment. Uh, do you feel the pressure to talk up U.S. men's national team players? Because in my mind, the best players in the league are the Valeris, the, uh, the Villas, the Javinkos, the Ola Kamaras, uh, last season, Mauro Diaz. And I could go on and on. I mean, just these great Von Dom last season with L.A. The guys we brought into this league from abroad have elevated the level of the league, in my opinion. Now, I, I get exactly what you're saying, that there is a perception and a stereotype that often works against American players, just like it works against American commentators. You've been a victim of that, uh, in sure. that anything foreign is better. But do you feel the uh, pressure to talk up U.S. men's national team players and American players when doing MLS broadcasts, even though from where I sit, most of the impact players in this league, I'd say 75% of the top players are foreign players. Yeah, I don't, I don't feel pressure regardless, but if there is a, and I, I would use the, the, the term uh, responsibility, I don't feel a pressure to talk about American players when I'm doing an MLS broadcast. What I do feel a responsibility to do is, for example, when we're doing international games, whether it's the U.S. games uh, or anybody else, if there is an MLS player, 
I do feel a responsibility to point that out. And I think that that's fair, given the partnership and the relationship and the business relationship that Fox has with, uh, uh, with Major League Soccer uh, and with the United States Soccer Federation. So that's, that's nothing new, and, and that happens you know, with, any, with any type of partnership and relationship. You want to foster that, and you want to point out the fact that, hey, some of these guys that you're seeing feature in a league that we broadcast. You want to point out that some of these guys that are going to the World Cup feature in a league that we have a partnership uh, and a relationship with. And I think, that that's, I think that that's understandable, and I think that that's completely valid. As far as uh, pinpointing or highlighting or any type of pressure, I don't ever feel a, a pressure. But if there is an American player out there that is representative of, let's say, the good that is out there when it comes to developing talent, of course we're going to highlight that. Of course we're going to say, hey, especially in this, in this day and age, in this, this time right now where the system right now is, is under attack, and, and, and at times fairly, but if there is a young player that is representative of that system, that came up through that system, and now is recognized as having talent and playing, you're damn right I'm going to point him out. You're damn right I'm going to say, hey, look at this guy. This is part of that system, uh, and it worked. And it doesn't mean that at times it doesn't work, but I think it is important to point out when it does work. Last question from me, Alexi. Uh, you're now preparing for a World Cup and broadcasting a World Cup. You've been on the last uh, every World Cup going back to 2006 so when you were with ESPN, and uh, this will be your first with Fox, but fourth successive World Cup you've broadcast. And uh, – is your preparation going to be different, radically different, because the U.S. is not in this World Cup, but now we're, we won't have Italy, which is always one of the headline nations, and there's some other serious admissions, Chile, who's won the Copa America two times running. Does your preparation and the way you're going to um, approach this World Cup differ completely from what you did in 06, uh, 10, and 14 because of the absence of the U.S. and some of these other headline countries? Well, it's evolved just by, by you know, a natural type of, of progression and, and evolution. I've, I've learned, learned what – actually learned what not to do uh, much more than what to do. And so it's funny. I have right in front of me at the start of what I call my World Cup Bible. So we're, we're more than six months out, but certainly we have the draw coming up. And it's basically my cheat sheet for absolutely everything. And so that really doesn't change. I had that no matter what. Uh, as far as the U.S. team, the U.S. is, is such a it's, – it's so much in my wheelhouse that there wasn't a whole lot that was done. It was much more on opponents and stuff like that. So that, that really doesn't change except for the fact that there is uh, no, no U.S. And so I got my Excel sheet, uh, spreadsheet up with you know, players and histories and players to watch and uh, you know, storylines and coaches and all, and all that kind of stuff. That, that doesn't change. And really – um, to, to get a peek behind the curtain, and, and you guys can, can know this and understand this. Um, so, so what ends up happening is it's this, this iceberg theory that, that applies to a lot of television, where uh, what you ultimately see when that red light turns on is only the tip of the iceberg in terms of the amount of work and research uh, and energy and resource that has been put into preparing you for that moment. And so much of what we do oftentimes finds itself left on the, uh, the cutting room floor. And that's okay, because... That good stuff at the top doesn't happen without that structure and that solid underbelly of work that happens. And that starts a long time ago, and I've learned from some of the best and worked with some of the best. I'm still trying to figure it out and streamline it, but as far as my preparation for next summer, it's really not going to change. Is it a bummer the U.S. isn't there? Of course. Of course. I mean, we'd be dumb not to, not to admit that. But at Fox, 
you know, we have a responsibility. We're still broadcasting the biggest sporting event in the world. We are still broadcasting an event that, in particular, when it comes to the U.S., maybe we're much more, um, not prepared, but we're much more able to appreciate it because of the diversity that we have in our country when our home country isn't in it. I think the United States, maybe more so than anywhere in terms of a market, is set to, uh, to, to tune in. But ultimately, look, you know, I worked for ESPN for a number of years, and I'm so proud of the work that we did there when it comes to soccer and, to, and for the World Cup. We have to not just live up to that, but surpass it and do it in a Fox way. And I think that's what we're uh, that's what we're set, what we set about doing. Whether it's the 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 appearance and the optics and the and the uh, and the sets and all that kind of stuff, or the or the talent uh, or the content, we got to make sure that when that World Cup is over next summer, the people say, you know what? That was awesome. That was fun. I learned stuff. I had a wonderful time. I, it, was, it was entertaining. It was maybe done in a different way than people have done it in the past, but it still lived up to the, the, um, the, the grand nature of what this tournament is, with or without the United States. Okay, and last question from me, Alexi, and that's if the opportunity presented itself, would you be interested in hosting a televised USSF presidential uh, debate on, on Fox Sports? And, and do you feel? Oh you, yes, I would love to do it. And, and love do, to do, do it. Do feel, no, and, and I, I think we should. Do you feel you'd I think be fair we would invite balanced. others too? Would I be fair and balanced? No, I'm a human being. I mean, look, <laughs> I, I, when, when people no, I, I and people ask me this all the time. So, so when when my kids were were really young. Um, you know, they, they, they learned the phrase, uh, nothing personal. And they used to, so, but, but then what they used to do was, for example, they, they would say, hey, you're fat, nothing personal. And I had to explain to them that just because you said nothing personal doesn't mean that it's not personal. And so I never say it's nothing personal. I am a human being. I bring with me all of my history, all of my baggage, baggage, all of my biases, all of those different things in what I do. And it's up to you when you're seeing me on television or when you're hearing me on a radio show or a podcast uh, to incorporate that into what I'm saying. And it might take you in different directions. But as far as being uh, being unbiased, no, I'm a human being. I'm going to bring all of my baggage that I have. Do I, will I try my, my best to be fair? Of course. Will I try my best to be fair to everybody? Of course. But I'm a human being, and until we actually have robots working uh, as, the, uh, as the moderators or the, uh, or the hosts of something like that, it's always going to be biased. And that's, that's not a bad thing. That's just a human thing. And I, I incorporate that into everything that I hear. I incorporate that into everything uh, that I watch. I incorporate it when I listen to your show. I incorporate your biases and your baggage and your history into the things that you're saying. And that's okay. And, and with that... Then I come out with a, you know, I have my formula, and then I come out with an opinion on what you say based on the fact that you are a human being and, and not a robot. I'm assuming that. I'm assuming you're a human being. I hope you're a human being because it would be a hell of a story if you guys weren't. <laughs> well, Alexi, thank you so much for being honest, and, and thanks also for giving us some more time and, uh, and talking to us about this because I think a lot of people would probably hide behind their, you mean, their uh, Twitter or computers and would not want to uh, kind of interact and have this uh, conversation. So fr from the, the bottom of my mind. No, you know, you know, guys, I, 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 I love to talk and I love to debate. I certainly don't have all the answers. I can be as much of a, a moron as anybody else. Uh, and, and I enjoy hearing as many differ, differing uh, and different ideas and opinions uh, that are out there. And, look, I, you can be critical of me. You can be critical of Fox. You can be critical uh, of anybody. I am oftentimes critical of different people. It comes with the territory. you gotta, 
you got to have a, a, a pretty thick skin uh, in order to be business, and, and you understand that. And so it's it's all fair. I I and, and as I said, um, it, it's it is all personal. It's <laughs> which is which is an okay thing, and I can still respect. Uh, and have a good time hanging out with people that I completely disagree with fundamentally in terms of how they view soccer or life. And that's, uh, that's for me, what makes life uh, and, and soccer interesting. Awesome. Well, well thank you, Alexi. Appreciate it, uh, the time once again. Okay, and, uh, all, right. all right. Thanks, guys. Okay, so we just uh, had that interview with Alexi Lalas. And uh, I meant it, Kartik, too, in terms of um, how there's so few people that actually would do that. There's, I mean, there's a lot of... Uh, talking heads out there and they have a lot of opinions but uh rarely do you find somebody that uh, would dive in and actually have that discussion and, and you can see too even on twitter i mean even for the people that hate him on twitter i mean he he responds to a lot of those people and uh, i think that's part of his persona in terms of uh who he is as an individual he loves to debate and like he said too even though he disagrees with a lot of things we say uh at least he um is man enough to to talk about that what, what's your thoughts yeah. Yeah, full credit to Alexi for coming on here and, and facing facing a, a, a somewhat of a grilling from us. I I really respect the work he's doing on Twitter. My uh, question is, and this is you know a very serious question, and we didn't really get to it in, in the discussion with him. Why uh, is it he's not given that platform on Fox? Right? You you asked about the Daily Show. Uh, I asked about uh, his Periscopes, which are great. I watch them. Uh, I interact with him on Ask Alexi uh, from time to time. Why, why isn't that being um, harnessed by Fox? And that, um, unfortunately, uh, Chris, for me, they, spells, you know, they have, this, they have this commentator who is very controversial and, and prides himself as a bit of an entertainer, as we heard. They do not seem to showcase soccer content and soccer um, personalities the way they do their personalities in other sports. And, you know, this is a knock on ESPN also. They do this. They, it's the same thing. If a guy is a, has a personality and the controversial nature and is a polarizing figure like Lawless is uh, on ESPN, he's covering the NFL or college football or the NBA, uh, Stephen A. Smith, right? Uh, Jason Whitlock. They're all over the place. Um, that's, that's the thing, I, though, too, that, that I, I'm hoping that, that Fox does have kind of the uh, those Woke Up Tonight shows or those sit around the table, let's have a discussion uh, each night and, and have some serious conversations The the issue I have, though, is that uh, I believe it's Fernando Fiore is going to be on it. And I love Fernando. I think he's a really – he's an entertainer and a uh, great personality. And, and he's funny at times. Some people don't like him, but I, I like him personally. And that's my fear is that uh, whether it's Fernando and Alexi, you're not going to get the best out of Alexi in terms of those heated discussions and kind of those, those deep topics. And, and that's the biggest thing that Fox is missing. And that came up a couple of times on the show, too, on this interview, is – the lack of a daily show, but also where so much of his conversations and topics and heated debates are on Twitter. I mean, that's completely out of the, the Fox Sports uh, uh, domain. I mean, even you mentioned too, Kartik, which was a good point too. What about foxsports.com or foxsoccer.com? Why we have seen more video content there with him on it. Um, and, and again, too, I, I think he, I mean, he mentioned that uh, he listens to the show. He mentions that he disagrees with a lot of the things we say and, and he thinks we have baggage. Maybe we do. Um, but it's our honest opinions, and um, that's what we're giving. It's, there's no filter. We're just sharing what we think and what we feel. And uh, he did, too. I'd like to see more of that on television. But, again, it's probably 
part of it is in terms of just in terms of the television where you have such a short amount of time you mean commercial break back okay now you've got like 30 seconds to sum up whatever it is and, and the same thing happened with Ronaldo too is that we saw the best out of Ronaldo when he went on to Sirius XMFC and was doing his nightly radio show I mean that was really kind of where a lot of people I think benefited more from Ronaldo in terms of hearing his honest opinions where he, he could talk for about 10 minutes non-stop and, and go into more detail Yes and no. I, I think where I would say no and, and blame Fox is uh, Michael Bollock used to get the best out of Alexi Lalas on yeah. television yeah. during the Euro 2012, during the World Cup 2014. And, and uh, uh, the Lalas persona, uh, in my opinion, has changed a little bit since he's gotten to Fox. I think there's more um, there, there's more scripted uh, debates going on and maybe less on-air time. That's probably the critical component, as we talked about. I mean, and I'm glad he gave me the answer to uh, the question I had from, from the other night because he, 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 he opened the door, but their format meant that Arena said his bit, and Wallace, I could tell from his body language, wasn't terribly comfortable with the answer, but, hey, we got to go. Yeah. I mean, and that's the problem problem with television in, in general. But, yeah, I, I, when all the Sirius XM platform helped expand his views, and uh, I guess when I think about it, the persona of Eric Winalda has been defined by the things he's done outside of television. So, yep. yeah, I, I guess you're right when you talk talk about that because, I mean, I, I know Eric Winalda. I, I consider him a, a friend and one of the people I uh, – I, I admire in the sport in this country. Now that I think about it, the persona, the Eric Winalda I know and the opinions that he expresses to me and that I characterize with him have probably 90 percent of them have been made on radio or in other mediums than the uh, than the Fox studio. So that's probably the same with Lawless. Um, you know, just to tie a bow on this, I, I would encourage Fox to uh I don't. I, I assume their executives are aware of uh, him on Periscope and, and his interactions on Twitter. I would encourage them to uh, build that into either a daily show they have on television, or at the very least, have an Alex Ask Alexi on uh, FoxSports.com. I, I think that will also benefit because it will drive traffic from people like me who never go to their website to their website if I know Lawless is going to be on video there. Right. Yeah, in many ways, I mean, Alexi's doing a great job at building his personal platform, which is which is Twitter for the most part, or Periscope, or it's, it's mostly Twitter, uh, in terms of having that be kind of his, um, his his opportunity to kind of say what's on his mind, whether it's uh, on, on video or tweets or, or just also trying to kind of stimulate conversation and, 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 and debate. And like he said, sometimes saying things that he knows he's going to get a reaction, but he, he's putting it out there. Uh, the one thing I didn't get into in the interview, and I, I wish we had, we had a little bit more time, but then again, it was, it was, it's a difficult question, is that uh, looking at Alexi from ESPN to Fox Sports, and I have a lot of respect for Alexi Lalas as an individual. I think he's a very intelligent person. Uh, I have more respect for his work at ESPN, um, where it was more thought-provoking. And maybe that's part of it too, Kartik, like you were saying too, with Michael Ballack and uh, Roberto Martinez and, and other, others, where he's had somebody against him that has been able to engage in some really, really good debates and discussions. And at Fox, I think he's still missing that. There's, there isn't that uh, that other kind of uh, character or that villain or wh whatever the character is to actually ha have those debates about. And it, with ESPN, I mean, to me, Alexi's changed a lot. Uh, I think at, we as individuals change a lot. I mean, it's just, I mean, nature of being a human being. 
but I miss the Alexi Lalas at ESPN more than I miss the the Fox one, where it is more it's more truncated, uh, less time to talk, and um, what I hear is a lot of times is is things I don't agree with in terms of it. It sounds very much like. You mean Sunil, as far as things that he would say? <laughs> PR spin, yeah. yeah. I, I, and I think back to this debate that ESPN set up between Lawless and Casey Keller on the ESPN FC show, uh, Dan Thomas moderating, when that first launched. And uh, they talked about diving and, and, and uh, gamesmanship and, and uh, cheating in, 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 yeah. in, in professional soccer. And, I mean, Lawless had an opinion that a lot of people vehemently disagreed with. But it, it was the type of... Um, uh, debate and uh, discussion, and he made some good points. I mean, he didn't win me to his side, but he he made enough good points in that discussion. This would have been in 2013 that he has not been able to to present on Fox because they don't have a daily soccer show, or they don't have a long form format, or quite frankly, they don't want to be overly critical uh, of the system or of uh, Sunil Gulati or the U.S. Soccer Federation. Um, you know, one quick. Quick last point I'll make. Um, I go back and forth on this. I, it, Lawless points out in Major League Soccer's founding uh, documents, and I've got a lot of the old media guides as well, it talks about uh, being founded expressly to help the U.S. men's player. And uh, I, I, I get that. And, uh, and you know, I, I'm back and forth on this myself. I mean, at one point I wrote an article 10 years ago or uh, maybe it wasn't quite 10 years ago, eight years ago or so, saying that the US, uh, that uh, MLS had, had a uh, – worrying trend towards signing more and more foreign players and less and less spots for Americans. But um, as I've seen the level of the league grow, the league in 2017 is very different than the league in 2008 or 2009 when I wrote that, that column. I realized those foreign players to me have helped the American players around them become better players. And now I, I, I've kind of maybe I've changed my view, but I think it's a very uh, I, I I think the the better the league is, the better it is for all of us. Um, but I, I, I respect the fact that he's able to kind of go back and, and, and kind of prioritize, hey, growing of the American player, growing of the uh, American game is my priority. And, and, and I do really respect that. And uh, the, the fact that he said, hey, I, I'm, uh, I, I will mention of guys like uh, Spencer Sweden. I will mention if guys are in Major League Soccer because we broadcast that. And by the way, I've noticed Fox commentators do that with the Bundesliga as well. Uh, John Strong is always very quick to point out if a guy's playing in the Bundesliga in, in a match he's calling. Yeah, absolutely. One last thing for me, Kartik, and, and that's his question about whether, whether we would uh, want an interview with Bruce Arena. And I had to think about it too. I mean, I gave my, my immediate answer, which was that I'm not so sure, which is honest though too, because I would much prefer to interview Alexi Lalas then I would prefer to, to interview Bruce Arena. With Bruce Arena, I know what I'm getting, uh, and I mean, it's, I mean, it's a re- it would be a very frustrating interview to have, and it, it wouldn't go anywhere. At least with Alexi, he speaks his mind. Uh, there's very little filter. I mean, he just lays it out on the line, and, and he doesn't. I mean, he's proud of that. that that's that's who he is, and and, and that's uh, that's what I want to hear more of on the TV shows. I mean, that's what the part that we're missing, I believe, uh, where it's a lot more honest, a lot more um, authentic, and he has more time. And, and maybe the World Cup will be the format for that. But, but I still think that uh, I would probably pass up the interview opportunity to interview Bruce Arena. I know we've passed up interview opportunities to interview him in the past before. It's when he was coaching LA Galaxy uh, during the International Champions Cup uh, and other opportunities um, but obviously, he's in a different place and different time now. But uh, I would still prefer to interview Alexi. So, 
So thankfully, and thanks to Fox uh, for letting us uh, interview Alexi and actually giving us more time than we were allotted. So I think we had only about 15 minutes and it went into about 30 minutes. So that's, uh, uh, that's all on Alexi. So much appreciated. Okay, Kartik, so where can listeners find you on the internet to catch up on your latest uh, work and, uh, and tweets, etc.? KKFLA737 at uh, Twitter, and you can find me at World Soccer Talk and other places on the web, Sock Takes, some other places. Excellent. Well, thank you for listening. You can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday. Every episode is released on SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, Audioboom, and WorldSoccerTalk.com. And if you like the show, share it with your friends on social media and give us a review on iTunes. In Kartik, what should they do? Enjoy your football. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.